weird. Welcome to Cult America, where we discuss the weird, wonderful, and worrying rituals and sacrifices that make America great. I'm Carl Joseph Black, a Brooklyn native born into the cult that is America. And I'm Lisa Charlotte, a foreigner, migrant. I don't know how I usually introduce myself. I'm all of those things who bought into the cult from afar mm. and still kind of, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> so what's up, Lise? What's new? You got some news for us? I mean, yes. I mean, it's not like news news, but like I have my work authorization. Hey! I don't know if we discussed last episode or not, um, which basically means, because it's good to kind of like share the whole process. Uh, so I applied for something called an adjustment of status. So I was on a non-immigrant working visa and I'm applying for my green card. And basically this is like a bridging visa for lack of a better word, but it's two years. And I also have travel authorization, which means I can leave the US and I won't be like shut out, which wow. is why I haven't been able to leave for two years. Cause like I didn't have guaranteed re-entry. Um, I think I still don't have guaranteed guarantee. I mean, you never have guaranteed re-entry when you're a migrant until you have a green card, but yeah, it's a positive step forward. If for two years I can work, I can work for anybody, which I haven't been able to do since I first moved here. So, and even when I first moved here, it was like a, I could work for anybody, but I couldn't have a senior role. Yeah. I could only have like, yeah. So it's very exciting. It's like the, I could, I could, you could hire me right now. You could call me up. <laughs> and you can yo, yo, be like, hey, I got hiring, a job for you. I could do it. If you're hiring, if um, you're hiring, Lisa's here. <laughs> no, I, I really like my job. But I <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I could. And that's very exciting. Um, yeah. It is very stressful being tied to like one employer. Uh, I think it's stressful for him as well because, you know, he feels like he needs to provide for me everything. And so I think it's a really good like weight off to be like, okay, cool. But hopefully my boss wants to keep me. Congratulations, <laughs> nonetheless. Right? I mean, if he, he paid for the if visa, he, so. <laughs> you know, if, he, if he loses you, that's his loss now. Yeah, yeah. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Because somebody listening to this podcast is going to hire you. And it's up after that, <laughs> you know? And because you got the work authorization and you're good to stay, we don't got to marry you off to some random dude <laughs> so you can get your papers. Well, when I get my green card, I can get married and my partner would have a green card. So I got the power. Oh. It's pretty exciting. Let's talk about the big power shift. Love I know, right? It. Uh, it's pretty cool. And like, if I go for citizenship, I think I can sponsor like my siblings if they wanted to live here and stuff, which is like awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, you have that power too. You can sponsor. Yeah. I mean, your I family just, are all citizens. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's here. But, None of my siblings <laughs> are overseas, but you know. It's a weird concept, like yeah. thinking about becoming, I think we talked about this the other day, not on the podcast, like about becoming a, a citizen of a whole other country. Like yeah. as an adult, like you spend your whole life with one citizenship and like I, I hadn't, I hadn't. I get let myself go down that path because I still haven't decided 100% if I would want to be a citizen or not. But um, it's like a very strange concept to think about like becoming a citizen of a country yeah. at the age of, I think I, it would be when I turn 40, I would be eligible for citizenship. Yeah. Um, that's like a very strange and bizarre thing to think my, about. My mother became a citizen of, of the u.s in 2008 uh i think she was like 40 she might have been like 43 or 44 mm. uh 
And I went to like her ceremony. Yeah, I think we've talked about this yeah, in the show before. Yeah, I went to her ceremony and she was like doing all the stuff, saying I pledge allegiance and oh, all of that. I feel about that. And uh, <laughs> why don't you want to become a citizen? I do not know how I feel about it. <laughs> Word. <laughs> saying the I pledge. I don't know. <laughs> but um, and then I think it was like two weeks after she got her citizenship, we went to vote. Oh, wow. For the first time. That's exciting. That's what I get excited about. Yeah. We both voted for president together for the first time ever. Uh, So that was pretty tight. Um, That's very sweet, actually. Um, uh, I mean, with a green card, I can vote in New York, but not for the federal federal election. I can can vote for local elections, which I think is an awesome, awesome law. Um, But you can only do that. And I want to be clear because I think there's been a lot of histrionic conversation around letting migrants vote. You can only vote if you have a green card, which is permanent residency. Uh, You can't vote on any other visa. Okay. Um, So it's, and a lot of people like, um, uh, uh, like a, yeah, yeah. She has been living here since she was like a young, young kid. And she's not a citizen. She just has a green card. Oh. Like a lot of people just have a green card. Is, is that a choice? I actually don't 100% know why. Um, because if you're on a green card and you live here for five years, you are eligible to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. I feel like there might be, I oh, actually, I think I do know why. I don't know about holding, it might be something to do with, I oh, know you should be able to hold a Filipino citizenship and an American citizenship. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I know for some people it's like you can't be a dual citizen oh. um, with certain countries. So I think there are, you can be a dual citizen, like Australia and America can be. And like, I know I have a friend who's UK, Australia and America. So um, she was born here, raised in the UK. Her parents are British. And then she lived in Australia and got her citizenship there. Mm. And you can hold all three of them together. Oh, that's cool. But there are a lot that you can't have. There's definitely people that I know who the country they're from will not recognize a dual citizenship with the US. Oh. And they would have to uh, forfeit their country of birth where their parents are i think singapore maybe is one of them and so they're like well i can't get a citizenship for the u.s and so they're just permanently on a green card yeah but you have mostly all the same rights um except a green card can be taken away yeah a citizenship can't so you can and you can vote you can give your citizenship up yeah but you can't you can't can't have it taken i mean not yet There's definitely been conversations around this in the UK, I know, with dual citizens uh, about, like, if someone's convicted of terrorism, like, can you take away their citizenship, which, like, is a whole interesting thing. Then it's like, so where do they deport you? Exactly. I mean, I think it's only possible if you're a dual citizen. Okay. Like, if you're, like, yeah. Um, But I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway. It's so fucking weird if you committed a terrorist act in the US and he took away your citizenship. Where are they going to deport you to? I mean, that's the thing. I, it's it's an interesting thing that gets brought up a lot in conversations around convicting terrorists, particularly yeah. dual nationality terrorists. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah, it would set a very bad precedent because statelessness is a massive issue. Yeah. Um. And like a very interesting issue too. I definitely have uh. Um, one of my friend's mums. Actually, I say it's my friend's mum, but I met her through her mom. There's this amazing Australian uh, who used to work for the UN, or probably still does, um, in specifically stateless uh, statelessness, um, and particularly people who are like 
born stateless. Yeah. So there are heaps of people in Australia, actually indigenous people who don't have, um, who are stateless because um, in Australia, we don't automatically issue a birth certificate. Mm. So you have to actually go and like do it. Like you have to go and like do the paperwork to, you know, register a birth. Yeah. And so a lot of people in indigenous communities who don't necessarily know how the bureaucratic system works, like yeah. do not register a birth certificate. And so you have people who are effectively stateless in their fucking country. Cause like, let's be real. It's like, yeah belongs to indigenous australians right um so people like that or you know i think in like some countries i want to say japan but i could be wrong and maybe it's changed but certainly for a time unless the father is japanese they're not recognized as japanese and so you would have like a japanese mother and like a father who's not from japan and then that child would be born stateless depending on the laws of each country um I don't quote me on that, but it's something like that. Like there's some weird administrative stuff where sometimes people are born stateless in Australia. If you're born in Australia, you don't, you don't get Australian citizenship, not like here. Oh. So like, in a, I have friends who are from New Zealand, which like New Zealand and Australia, you can live very free. Like it's, yeah, it's effectively almost like being a citizen except for a few caveats. Um, and so their kids weren't citizens until they were 10. You have to live in Australia for 10 years and then you can apply um, so they were born in Australia, lived their whole lives in Australia, but they were New Zealand citizens. So like, mm. there's lots of weird stuff like that, um, in different countries. So America's very, I think America's one of the only places where if you're born here, you are American. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is. You're born here, you're American. Um, and then, uh, so like I was able to acquire dual citizenship between, mm. um, between the, with, with the U S and Canada, cause I was born here, um, but my mother was living in Canada at the time. Mm. So uh, after a little while, um, she took me back home, mm. back to Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I grew up in Canada. I, I spent the first few years of my life so there. So while I was there, I was able to become a citizen as well. Mm. So um, I think when I was like seven or eight, we moved back to the U.S. And then I've been here ever since. But yeah. It's pretty um, cool, though, having, like, two. Like, it's, I don't know, it kind of feels nice having, like, a backup country. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. It's yeah. like, don't act up. I'm yeah. on my original. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's also, I don't know, it's interesting, and I think we spoke about this the other day off air, that, like, a lot of Australians that I know who live here have reconsidered things a lot since the pandemic in terms of, like, wanting to commit more to the U.S. So, yeah. like, I always planned to get my green card just because I, I like the idea of having freedom. Right. I, I give, I, the thing that stressed me the most is like, I've always been able to just go and get a job. Like, yeah. and I don't care what it is. I've done hospitality for years. I've done retail for years. I'll just go and get a job and I'll take care of myself. And that's like, makes me feel, I've always felt, um, you know, I, I've always entrusted my ability to be able to like work Yeah. and not being able to just go out and get a job is very, um, stressful. <laughs> Uh, but I know a lot of people who are on like, so we have this like non-immigrant visa, which is what I'm, well, I'm now no longer on, but I was on, which is like, you can have as many as you want, but you have to have a job. It's tied to your employer, yeah. but you're not an immigrant and you just keep doing that every two years. It's very easy and very cheap. You don't need a lawyer, just like 200 bucks. You just got to go do oh. it outside of the country. Okay. So most people just do it. They get, go back home or they go to Barbados or something like it's very easy. And so like, I have a friend who was just going to keep doing that. And since the pandemic and the anti, I guess, like, um, migrant, like, Australia's leaving Australia, that sentiment um, 
from Australians, which was pretty awful. Like basically people within Australia were like, well, if you left, then that's your fault and you should not be allowed back in in this pandemic if oh. you've chosen to live outside of Australia. Wow. So like they were like so there were people who were stranded, you know, cuz the thing is it's not as simple as like oh just come home. Like I went back to Australia because my visa had expired and um I came back to no job, no house, like nothing. Yeah. Um as opposed to here where I had like an apartment and a job and like all of this stuff and a, a network um, and so, you know, people would like lose their jobs in the pandemic, you know, six months in yeah. and then that they lose their visa status and then they can't get back to Australia. Shit. And the sentiment within Australia was basically like, well, fuck you, you shouldn't live overseas, which is kind of insane. And so a lot of people that I know, like I have, I knew someone who's been on a green card probably for like a decade who didn't really know if they were going to get citizenship and now they're applying to be a citizen. Um, my friend on the non-immigrant visa is now applying potentially for a green card. So like- yeah, it's really interesting how, like, the pandemic shifted people that I know to, like... I know my friends from New Zealand became Australian citizens in the pandemic. They mm. were like, oh, shit. Yeah, we need to be citizens of this country. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Like, our whole life is here. Yeah. So, it's just interesting how that kind of... Anyway, we are way chatty at the beginning of this episode, but I think it's all interesting. Yeah. Uh, people are learning new stuff. I mean, people in America have no fucking idea. And like, to be None. honest, I We're have just a like limited- born here. Yeah. Now we go jerk off or something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's the thing is like, God, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything I ever have to say to anybody who's listening to this show, but definitely like that sentiment of like, if you don't like America, you can just leave. Um, I just can't, I always say that in my head, like South Park, if you don't like America, you can get out. Americans didn't like America. They didn't just leave what they do. They beat yeah. the shit out of everybody else <laughs> and then said, now this is the rule. Yeah. But the amount of like stress. So I've been waiting for this visa, which I still don't have since May of 2019. I've spent probably and like this isn't just me like i've been incredibly fortunate that my employer has helped with this year's cost which probably this year has been five thousand dollars um between all the other things i probably spent another five to ten thousand dollars um and i pay tax and i have to pay like social security tax which i have absolutely no benefit from yeah um like all of this stuff it's like the amount of money and time and stress that people go through to live in this country who aren't citizens. Like you should just never say that. Like if they wanted to not be here, they would not be here. Yeah. Like if they're here, they have fucking fought their asses off to be so. So yeah. like just shut your goddamn mouth. Yeah. If you ever hear anyone say that, tell them to go. And that's fuck the thing. Themselves. Like typically that whole if you don't like it here, go somewhere else argument stems from a disagreement and opinion mm, right which is or fuck, a, free, freedom of speech yeah, i don't have it or a or a criticism yeah right and it's like we have fundamental rights to criticize yeah like you know what i mean under so, trump that certainly didn't feel true for migrants yeah so, like now i feel like i can like yeah. i would not have a problem sending a tweet being like joe biden sucks <laughs> yeah i wouldn't send it but like you know, I wouldn't have an issue criticizing the president. Whereas when yeah. Trump was president, I legitimately, and I don't think this is out of line, I legitimately was like, if this gets right at the border or if, like, this gets flagged, I could, like, be deported. And, yeah. like, he's petty as fuck and probably it that is. would have happened. Yeah. So um, yeah. I would not have started this podcast under a Trump administration without citizenship. Yeah. 
even though like it's like you know just i just would not have it yeah. probably would have come into like fucking question in my interview or something i don't know mm. anyway um america or cult <laughs> Speaking uh, of migration, it actually kind of fits really well into this one. Yeah. Um, the group try to recruit via literature or any other means. Literature and other means is what I meant to say. Uh, I'm going to go with cult on this one. Yeah, that would be right. I mean, All right. we're going to talk about how America kind of does as well, because obviously uh, that's yeah. the point of this. But um, if you're thinking about a, a, a cult that's trying that's big on recruitment do you have someone who comes to your mind first uh a cult that's big on recruitment i mean cult organization religion mm, jehovah's witness but they're not a cult they're just a religion i know but i'm calling them a cult oh, and yes okay. that's what it is remember you called them that because <laughs> they don't fucking play that shit <laughs> I mean, we've used cult pretty liberally yeah. in this series and like 9 million people or something follow this uh, religion, but it does feel a little culty. And so when I was thinking about this, that's the first ones that came to my mind too. So yeah. I'm like, let's talk about it. I'm actually pretty sure my mom's mom was like into some cult shit. And I don't know if it was this, I think it was Seventh Day Adventist, maybe not Jehovah's Witnesses, which is different. Seventh Day Adventist is different. Yeah. It is also a religion, not yeah. a cult. Yeah. But, but they're pretty cult. <laughs> I just know that like my mom, they didn't, for a period of time, they didn't celebrate like birthdays and Christmas they don't. and shit. Uh, and so same with Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witness doesn't celebrate any holiday or birthday. Uh, what a lie. Seventh Day Adventist. I could never. Doesn't celebrate birthdays they don't attend funerals uh what else there's a bunch of others they don't eat pork um i mean a lot of religions don't eat pork true i uh, don't even really eat pork i just don't like it very much you seven day events is lisa <laughs> i celebrate my birthday for a month i think we can be pretty sure i'm not that um <laughs> Uh, anyway, so yes, cult, we're using it liberally, um, but it's, I mean, we've used cult, we, cult is like a sect of a religion, uh, we've used it for terrorist groups, I feel like we're liberal with the word, mm -hmm. um, but it's a millenarian, a millenarian? Millenarian. Millenarian. Uh, restorationist Christian denomination, um, with non-Trinitarian beliefs, which are distinct from mainstream Christianity, which I would also argue that Christianity is also kind of a cult. Okay. Sorry, my computer just uh, wigged out. Um, so they believe um, in the destruction of the present world system at Armageddon is imminent and that the establishment of God's kingdom over the earth is the only solution for all the problems faced by humanity, which like, damn, maybe they're right. <laughs> like, what's going on in this I'm world? I say I was about to say, you sure it's not Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also based in Warwick, New York. What is with all of these like cults and religions being based in upstate New York? It's kind of wild. It's like, the perfect place to hide. I feel like, but I just feel like so many, like I feel like half of what we've done has been based in upstate New York. Because like, it's the perfect place to hide. It's crazy. Um, so they're best known, which is why we're bringing them up today, for their door-to-door -door preaching and distribution of literature, um, like The Watchtower and Awake. Um, they also refuse military service and blood transfusions, and they consider the use of God's name vital for proper worship. Um, they reject a lot of things. Um, they also reject 
hellfire. Like, I think they don't believe in hell. I believe that's what that means. I could be wrong. Um, and as you said, they don't observe Christmas, Easter birthdays or any other holidays um, that they consider to have pagan origins, which is true for most Christian holidays. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, they're known for them spreading their beliefs by going door to door, distributing literature. Um, and, yeah. Have just, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Whenever I think of this, have you ever watched the British TV show Black Books? Nah. Okay, so you should. It's very funny. It's with um, uh, Dylan Moran and Bill Bailey. Uh, it's very funny. It's about like this very grouchy bookshop owner um, and he's trying to do his taxes and he hates doing taxes and <laughs> some Jehovah's Witnesses show up and they're like, have you heard about Jesus? And he's like, <laughs> no, I haven't. What's he up to? Tell me about him. Do you want to come inside? And they're like, inside? No one's ever asked us inside before. And so they're just like, because like they've rejected so much, like he's sitting with them and he's like, I don't know. They're just like so miffed that they're inside a house. And like, anyway, it's a very funny episode. I think it might be the first or second episode of the first season. It's a very good episode. Anyway, you should watch it. It's very funny. Um, And I just always think about it now when I think of Jehovah's Witnesses about that, like one very bored person trying to procrastinate work. And they're like, yes, tell me about Jesus. What's he doing? What's he doing? Um, Uh, That reminds me. Well, it, it's the exact opposite, mm. but that reminds me of what my dad did in his 20s. Um, the Jehovah's Witness would knock on his door every week. What? Every week. That's a lot. And he's getting tired of it. So one day he answered the door butt naked. Dick out and everything. Like, hey, what's up? And they're like, oh, oh, so sorry, sir. And the next week, he like he knows what time they would come around. So he like looked through the window at them and they were pointing at his house and essentially telling people, don't knock on that door. <laughs> that is incredible. It is 20s. It is 20s. I- Wild boy love that (laughs) Um, I actually thought about that I don't know if you remember when I had that crazy situation where like we were supposed to move into a house and there was that insane and like I was like how can I be non-violent about this but make them uncomfortable and I was I considered walking around the house naked it would be hard for me for from a comfort perspective but I was like it might be worth it like it's just a really good like non-threatening way to like make people incredibly uncomfortable yeah um Anyway, so anyway, so it's like the public preaching element is the part that's culty for the purposes of this episode. Um, and people who do not preach are termed irregular and need to be counseled by elders. Um, and people who do not do that for six consecutive months are termed inactive. So it's like a very big part of their religion that they have to do it every month as part of their religion, oh. um, which I think is very um, interesting. Anyway, the cult behavior today is that the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members, um, which, uh, I mean, we're going to argue America is, and we're going to talk about propaganda specifically, but I think we should have an outbreak now. Sure. We've been talking a while. Okay. Let's do it.
so we're talking about propaganda and how America uses propaganda both domestically and internationally to sort of like spin a message. And I think it's really interesting to talk about this from New York because New York has done this incredibly well. Oh, yeah. New York is the greatest propaganda state in America. Like, first of all, shout out to Side Talk NYC. Shout out to New York Nico. Those are the new propagandists for New York right now. Those guys are doing an excellent job. They got motherfuckers in Wisconsin talking about, hey, guys, where's your Tim's? Uh, do you hang out at the bodega? Uh, 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 you're? <laughs> Is that how I say it? Is it right? Uh, folks from Wisconsin listening, you could beat me up when you see me. Um, <laughs> but... Your is our language, <laughs> not yours. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the. I know there was a particular governor who who like championed this, but basically, like, I mean, you walk around New York, you're always seeing camera crews everywhere, yeah. and like, mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people who come here come here and they're like, "Wow, I just got there and it felt like home," and I'm like, "Yeah." You have seen New York on like almost every television show your entire life. Of yeah. course, it feels familiar. Like mm-hmm. is has been sold to you like in a way that no other city really has. Absolutely. Um, and, like and except the- for maybe France, but even then, the France you see on TV is not like the France you live. And in New York, it is pretty similar. Yeah, and and there are so many different stories mm. about New York. Right. So like there's the Wall Street uh, rich guy living in a penthouse suite Manhattan story. You know, I think about like Made in Manhattan. I think about. That's uh, the first movie you think of is Made in Manhattan. I think about Made in Manhattan. I That's a very J-Lo. New York story. It is. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Uh, J-Lo. Who else I do I think you. about? But like you think about. Okay. You think about the most prominent shows of the 90s. Friends. Seinfeld. Sex in the City. Sex in the city. Like they're all in New York and they're all different types of New York and they all like appeal to different people. Mm -hmm. Um, Even fucking Sesame Street is in New York. We're getting this from like childhood. They're like, yo. Come to New York. (laughs) Come to New York. There's a guy (laughs) in a trash bin. His name is Oscar. He's going to be mean, but you're going to like him. I mean, (laughs) that's if, if Oscar the Grouch is in New York, what is? What is? Word. Because like there's not enough trash in New York. On TV. And the sad thing about New York is there's enough guys by the trash <laughs> who are you. grouchy. Yes, exactly. So I just feel like America as a whole uh, maintains quite a lot of soft power worldwide because of this kind of propaganda machine of Hollywood. And specifically, New York, I feel like, does an incredible job of this. Mm-hmm. Um which I don't think that America would see it like that, but certainly, like, I think the way the, that America is holding on to power right now on an international level is the fact that culturally through the media, they are so, like, prevalent. Like, it's just like, and I did a seminar for Global Shapers, actually, um, in the Philippines with someone from Hong Kong. And we talked about this because, like, we basically just got everybody to write down, there's people from all over the world, right? Like, heaps of people from Asia, um, a couple people from Australia, people from like Europe and whatever. So everyone was sort of like from everywhere. And we got everybody to write down like all of their biggest um, media influences, like TV shows, news shows, podcasts, whatever. And across all of the places, 
no matter where someone lived, it was more or less all the same. And it was more or less all American. Mm. And like, that's crazy. Like the amount of power that America has on a media stage is crazy. Like people are coming here to make their careers. And there's a deep history in that. Mm. Uh, during the 1940s, uh, 1950s, you had America funding jazz musicians so that they can go on tour, go to Paris, go to other countries in Europe, and play American jazz music. They still right? do that. Like yeah. we have, a, I did a lot of work with the American consulate in Australia, and they would fly people in. As far as I'm aware, they were flying them in to do events and stuff mm-hmm. in Australia. A huge, mm. huge media influence. Same thing with um, hip hop. Mm. Hip hop is an American export. Like culture is America's largest export, Mm. you know, and it's also its cheapest export. And now on social media, it's the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're using social media to like have this large global influence um, in terms of culture. Uh, and, And what it really does is it just, it exports this idea of democracy. Uh, It exports the American way of life. Uh, it exports so much. So, like, America gets to kind of maintain its grip. But it's also why, like, I can understand your slang and you can't, or, like, the words that you use and you don't understand mine. So, like, being yeah. from Australia, it's like you have all of these bigger places. So, like, you know, I can understand British slang and Kiwi slang and American slang and like all of these different cultural things that like Americans just haven't had to deal with because all of your stuff is American. And it's not that everything's American, but I would say that like um, quite a lot. So I'd say like on TV in Australia, maybe it's like, and I mean, obviously like our news shows and stuff are local, our sports are local. We have a couple of local, like really famous soaps. We have local Australian television, but then quite a lot of it's American or British. We have quite a lot of British TV in Australia. Um, and then actually Australia is really good. We have like a global channel as well. So it shows, um, TV shows from all over the world. Um, cause we have only like five or six national channels that are like free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like ABC channel seven, channel nine, channel 10 and SBS is like mm-hmm. mainly it as far as I remember. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting. It's definitely like the biggest, um, export and it's it's interesting to think about uh like the world shifting like the power shifting and like i just don't like obviously there's been a rise in like k-dramas and like k-pop and like stuff out of korea or south korea i should say um but you don't really have that sort of permeation from the other bigger kind of like world powers like china and russia yeah um but yeah, it's it's used both for that. So I would say like for recruitment of like American ideals, um, for people to aspire to live in America. Um, but also it's used to sort of like propagandize to Americans as well. Yeah. And that's sort of um something that came uh in World War One, which was with like those this rise of mass communication, basically, um, all of these films and stuff were created to gain support for war um, from the, like from the populace. Uh, It's also interesting. These mm. other countries that you mentioned, the major countries 
uh, Russia and China. Part of the reason why they have a difficulty exporting culture is because they have so many restrictions on um, freedom of speech, mm. right? So these are countries that typically have uh, very invasive state-sponsored institutions that limit or police speech, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Limit or police expression. And, you know, China is well-known for disappearing motherfuckers who are saying too much. Like, they're disappearing billionaires. Yeah. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, Have you ever watched AT, by the way? Like, Russia Today? No. It's crazy. It's such a trip. Yeah? Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. It's totally funded by the Russian government. It's just, like, (laughs) interesting. I I think Trump's been on there, like, probably. It's insane. But, yeah. I just, like, it is interesting watching, like that kind of thing um no but it's funny because like so with the rise of all of this and like back in the day when this was first happening it was like the idea was like to manufacture consent at home so like basically propagandize like the war efforts Mm -hmm. um but there's been a rise obviously more recently in participatory media um so like talk radio cable um blogs chat text twitter whatever Um, And so people knowingly and unknowingly are using that to spread misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy, partisan talking points, which obviously has been weaponized against America um, and has turned the general public into propaganda machines. And so what this has done is actually just like caused a lot of chaos and is leading to a crisis in democracy. So like this thing that was like when it was sort of, and so you talk about like China and Russia as like, well, they centralize it, whatever. Well, that's what America originally was trying to do. And like freedom of speech has kind of fucked that shit up yeah. in a way that like is becoming quite a crisis for democracy. Um, and so you think of like how fucking catastrophic it has been for these fucking douchebag billionaires to have just like the ability to just say shit without thinking on their like, on their Twitter page. Like Elon Musk is like wilding out. He, like he fucking like, he causes so many issues just because he'll just be like, oh, da, 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 you know, <laughs> and then just like the whole world explodes and stocks go down and like, you know, all this shit happens. And it's just like, just because some fucking dickhead with too much power just decided to go on Twitter, you know, it's kind of insane. Have, haven't we always had some dickhead with too much power doing something in America? A hundred percent. But like, this is like very, like, I you just... And for people who don't live in America, and I think it's even true for people who don't live in America, but especially living here, just like, I remember just being like, what the fuck? Like, just waking up in the morning and it's like, what has Trump tweeted today? Yo. Like, what has he tweeted today? Like, what (laughs) shit is going to happen today? Yo, Trump had Twitter in the greatest headlock I've ever seen for four years. Like, this man will wake up on a random day and tweet in all caps no collusion <laughs> yeah. yo this yo he, it was really bad it was really bad and like, it's just like the stress of that like and it, it, it like i think everyone worldwide fe- felt it but like living here especially living here as a migrant it's like the stress of that was so like massive on my life and many people's lives and i think that like okay so maybe people listening to this podcast now have a general understanding of that. But like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast in like 10, 20 years, which like, I don't know why you are, but hopefully we're capturing a moment in time. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. That was a crazy time. It, was. it um, was. To be on eggshells about like him just jumping on Twitter without fucking, you just, I send tweets all the time and I'm like, 
what the fuck are you doing? Like, but that's the thing, right? Like, you don't think about it. The beauty and the ugliness of Trump is that he did everything he could as often as possible to capture chaos. Hmm. Like, that's what it was about. It was like, hey, I'm going to, like, every part from campaign to presidency to post-presidency, it's all just about chaos. It's about chaos, which is why, you know, January 6th was like the crescendo. You know what I mean? It was the physical manifestation of all the chaos that ensued as a result of him. I remember um, there was a debate between um, Trump and Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton said something along the lines of, that's why it's good that people like you aren't in power and have control over the law. And then he replied instantly and said, "Um, if I did, you'd be in jail. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, that was my first response. I was like, what the fuck? Did you just threaten a presidential candidate with jail? And then it got crazy. Next thing you know, lock her up. I'm like, yo, this is a whole presidential candidate. Like, do you know the type of background check you got to get in order for you to get ran by a major party? And then you got... You have a substantial portion of the population believing that this person should be put in jail while running for office? That's insanity. That's chaos. I think it's also just like, it was really hard to have extreme views when we were growing up, for example. like And like we're sort of the age, and especially, I'm only two years older than you, right? I'm 32. Oh, I'm three years older than you. But like- I think like when I was growing up, I mean, I still remember not really having, I still remember not really having like the internet at my disposal. I still hand wrote all my essays. I still used an encyclopedia and a dictionary and all of this shit. Right. And it was so much harder to be extreme because you couldn't find that person. You were always faced with people who like, um, who maybe don't agree with you on everything. And it's really hard to hold extreme views when you don't have your tribe. And so like, if you're living in somewhere like, you know, Adelaide, South Australia, which is like relatively small, um, it's hard to be extreme. And like, you can take that a lot of different ways. Like it's hard to have an extreme political view. It's hard to be someone who has tattoos. It's hard to be someone who is gay. Like that's not an extremist view. It's just like, it's hard to find, completely your tribe and you had to be a bit more on the level and a bit more understanding of people around you. Whereas I feel like the internet in a good way, in some ways, like a lot of queer people who live in places where that's not acceptable have found their communities online. And that's a really beautiful thing in the same way that a lot of far right, a lot of like, Oh yeah. Very extremist people have found each other also. And that, and then algorithms on places like YouTube perpetuate and, and make those beliefs even worse. And so it's definitely like, a good and bad thing and it's just it's really it's 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 particularly interesting being at this age where you lived in both worlds very deeply like i feel like people who are um, like my parents age for example um it's different experience for them where like they see it happening but it's not like 
in two very um, important growing periods of our lives, right? So like I could say like from birth to like 20, I lived a pretty analog life. Um, We had one computer in the house. I would write my essays and then type up the good copy, you know? Um, I didn't have a laptop until I was like 22, 23. Um, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like, you know, 17, 18. And so it's like I lived a pretty analog existence. Um, And then, you know, in my 20s and into my 30s, it's like accelerated in this insane pace. Uh, I don't know. It's just a very specific way to live we're a very weird generation of yeah we we are the guinea pigs Mm. of a new world you know so like you know if you compare us to any period in history i would say that you know we are the puritans of the internet Mm. right like the first people that kind of got here and was just like Maybe this is how we use it, mm. right? And it influenced another generation to kind of say, mm. well, we're going to use it the way they did it, but we're also going to make these changes and there's also going to be new technology. But like, I think in the next 15 to 20 years, mm. maybe, yeah, uh, we won't be able to use the internet. Like we're going to be like our parents on the internet because the internet is going to, change so rapidly and uh there's gonna be so much new colloquialisms and uh you don't think we can keep keep being cool with the kids carl nah because <laughs> we're seeing it now like you know i don't know speak I, for yourself i'm very cool i have young sisters and they are my cool consult and so i message them and i'm like hey lizzie um is this in <laughs> yeah <laughs> She came here and I have like these sketches, which like, I, I look, I, I probably have influenced by Gary because he like has a million pairs of shoes that look like that. Um, but I had these sketches, which I had bought on vacation with my parents because my shoes that I had didn't fit me properly. I'd like bought new shoes online. They didn't fit properly. They were hurting my feet. And so I, my parents love Ross. Um, and we went to Ross and I got these sketches, right. And they were really comfortable. So I just wear them all the time. You've probably seen them. And um, my sister visited and she turned to me and she was like, Lisa, no one under 40 wears sketches. And I was like, bitch, these are comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm like, I was like buying Birkenstocks the other day because like hella comfortable. I, my, I'm a very comfort driven dresser. Yeah. Like I, I'm not here to be uncomfortable and hot. Like I'm here to just be comfortable. Like I'm mm. very comfortable right now. Can't mm. finish test. Um, I think I can do both. I think I can look hot and be comfortable. Um, and I was like Birkenstocks, and she's like, "Yes, they're fine." I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna use being bisexual as an excuse to wear Birks. Like it's just my gay side, you know. But apparently they're cool now. So ah, Birks are cool. I'm allowed. And apparently cool. white sneakers are back in. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I now have another pair of white sneakers. I used to have a pair, and then they weren't cool for a while. And now they're cool again. It's just hard to keep up. Yeah. And I don't care enough. But with the lingo, I got it. The lingo, the lingo is changing and it's changing rapidly. Um, I feel like language is something that I find I overly adapt to, to mm -hmm. a point where like I get quite concerned spending a lot of time with you and Lungaway that I'm going to start using like AAVE. Like, because I literally will like, if someone says something around me a lot, I start saying it a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, it's my biggest fear to like accidentally um, 
say things I'm not most meant to say. There's a bunch of things that I find like interesting with the new lingo. And the new lingo right now, I think it's driven by a lot of young black women. Um, so like you you find that there's uh phrases like it's giving. I don't know what that means. Yeah. So like when somebody's Oh yeah, it's giving oh it's giving this. Yeah, okay. So it's giving like Uh this vibe. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Because I I I also live with a black woman, so I think I I have a lot of these in my brain. And then there's also um it's the blank for me. Oh yeah. Yep. I know that. Yeah, I mean there's been a lot of talk about that on TikTok, like um, the fact that a lot of Gen Z speak is just like black speak. Yeah, it is. And then like yeah. white people started doing it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is hard. And like, I find this really interesting and it's funny, like, you know, so you met my friend who just arrived, who's Australian and, um, she's like, oh, you've got the twang. Like you sound American. And actually she's been living in the UK. She sounds a little British actually. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how like you just do like, especially not everybody is like this, but, um, especially like people who sing or like high empathy and stuff it's like very normal to pick up what's going on around you yeah um and so i find that's always interesting um even the way i just said interesting that's american Mm -hmm. interesting is how i would say it um when i was more australian um but i find it interesting that yeah um the picking up of words and language and i'm always worried i do i do pick up a lot of stuff from lingua because we are very close and then i'm like then sometimes i'm like Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> am I am I gonna get like beat up for this if I'm yeah. not with you? Like I'm not trying to like mimic anything. It's just that like I spend all my time with you. And right. so like of course we mimic each other's like expressions and language, you know. It's also just like how the language is used on social, right? Mm. Like it's used in many ways as part of a joke that resonates with you Mm. which allows you to see a clear example of how the language is used for example your right Mm. a lot of people don't know this but your is actually a gang call um the crypt the way you open up our podcast every time yes are you a crypt i'm not a i'm not a crypt (laughs) (laughs) he said a crypt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> i'm not a crip uh, but but i grew up in a crip neighborhood <laughs> are you a crypt uh, the visual that came in my head the fucking crypt keeper <laughs> are you a crypt absolutely absolutely not that joke was even better than i thought it was gonna be. okay sorry <laughs> but um I grew up in a I grew up in a crip neighborhood. Yeah. So um so when I was about eight or nine years old, the Crips used to say your 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 to each other. Okay. So if you heard your like it was another crip. Yeah. Call you so when you if you turn around to your, that means you you were crip. Okay. That's what it was. And then I think because a lot of Crips um, came out of New York and made you know very popular rap songs, and had your on a track mm. or had your in their music videos. It really started to permeate um, hip hop culture, and and it just became a staple of New York slang. Mm. So now everybody's saying your. So obviously the Crips can't beat up everybody, 
Uh, so it just became New York language, but it was gang. It was it was gang communication. Mm. That's what that is, you know. Um, also, uh, another probably more known way that uh, the Crips influence American culture is the Crip Walk. Uh, it's this you know dance that you do with your feet. Um, Snoop Dogg was one of the people oh, who popularized. I think it. I know that walk. Yeah. It, Yes. Also, Snoop Dogg. Wow. What right. an icon. No, uh, Chris. he's like, but he's also like, I just, I don't know. I have a lot of love for Snoop Dogg and I just love what a like media whore he is. Like I appreciate it about yeah. him. Like playing Tekken Tag and I was like, he's Snoop Dogg has a level. And I'm like, of mm-hmm. course, of course he does. Of course he does. That man's just everywhere. I love it. I love it. He's Snoop. You know. It um, makes sense that him and Martha Stewart are friends, honestly. Perfect. Per- both, both media huge whores. influencers. Yeah. So, love to see um, it. so yeah, a lot of that language, you know, it, it comes from black culture mm. in some way, shape or form. And, and you just see how it permeates culture, American, and just becomes American culture, mm. you know? Um, and I love to see Jay-Z do that stuff all the time. Like, you know, he redid the New York song mm-hmm. and now like... It's him and Alicia Keys mm. when you hear New York, when it used to be Frank Sinatra. Yeah. You know, uh, these Although, things are beautiful. It's interesting. I love that song um, mm-hmm. a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like recently my favorite New York song has been New York State of Mind, which is like very like mellow. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, it feels more like the experience of living in New York than like. The sensational, like you can do everything. Whereas, like, well, New which State New York mind. State of Mind are you referencing? The Billy it... Joel one. Oh, okay. You know I thought you were referencing da, da, the one da, by Nas. Da, 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 da. You know the one? I'm in I know New that one. York yeah. State of Mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I thought you were talking about Nas. No. Because Nas has a song called New York State of Mind as well. I feel like I do know that one as well. No, I don't know. I, it's weird. Like, now, like, it used to be, yeah, for sure, like Alicia Keys, Jay Z. And then, I don't know where I heard New York State of Mind. I also like, um, what's the one? New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Mm-hmm. Like, these ones that are more like, I feel like um, I feel like so many of the like really popular New York songs that are like, uh, people are like, yeah, New York, are like really hype. And then I, I really started to love the very like, um, the more like everyday Mellow. live in New York, you know? Yeah. Like, Billy Joel's one's like, it's not easy going day by day and like, you know, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. 100%. That's fucking true as well. Or yeah. like, um, oh, there's a song by someone I know and called We All Mo- They All Moved to Brooklyn or something. And it's about like, yeah. everybody like, you know, they're in their 20s, they're in Manhattan. And then it's like, no, but we all moved to Brooklyn. Like everybody moves <laughs> to Brooklyn in the end. Like, and I love that one as well. Like just like random, like everyday songs about New York have become my like my faves over time it's it's the it's the propaganda yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that jay-z alicia keys fuck man that propaganda is oh. strong i hosted some students and um and they sent me a video of them in the cab they like made the cab driver play the song and i'm like y'all are on my lift account <laughs> don't drag my rating down <laughs> <laughs> what you doing uh anyway propaganda um operation mockingbird i just feel like we need to talk about it really quickly this is in the 40s so frank weisner appointed was appointed director of uh the office of special projects aka office of policy coordination um which would later become espionage and counterintelligence branch of the cia 
Um, so he was instructed to create an organization that concentrated on propaganda, amongst other things, to protect against communist sentiment and maintain the free world. Um, so they use these funds to bribe journalists and publishers. They restricted papers from reporting on certain events, um, like the CIA plots to overthrow um, the Iranian and Guatemalan governments. And then they established this program called Mockingbird to influence domestic American media. Um, so they recruited um, someone from the Washington Post to run project on the industry side. Um, and by early 1950s, Weisner owned people at the New York Times, Newsweek, CBS, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they essentially promoted the views of the CIA, who provided them with classified information to help out. So like mm. it was like an exchange. So there are about 3,000 people engaged in that propaganda effort, which is crazy. Wow. Um, uh, another big player was Henry Luce, uh, who was the owner of a media empire and used his magazines to get Eisenhower elected. Um, so... Weisner also was interested in influencing Hollywood, um, which already had quite a strong tendency towards self-censorship um, because the people who ran the studios were very patriotic and anti-communist. Um, but the CIA, that's when the CIA started um, promoting films and collaborating with films. So um, things like Zero Dark Thirty. Um, All the fucking army movies. Yeah. Top Gun. Yeah. Um, uh, Top Gun was Top Gun the first proper one where they like use military bases. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, they did a production of Animal Farm. That's uh, a classic book. They like they funded it, which I think is interesting. So they secret, so the CIA secretly secretly purchased the film rights, um, and they turn it into a satirical. I haven't seen this one, but they turn it into a satirical allegory about Stalinism. Um, but Orwell's associate because so, like when I see this and I haven't seen the movie Animal Farm, I'm like, this is very strange to me because Orwell was like clearly a socialist. Um, but they that's why they sort of took control of the film. Um, they made it in Britain to hide CIA involvement and they changed the ending so that the communists are overthrown by other animals on the farm. But that's the thing. Orwell hated Stalin as mm. well, though. You know, yeah, he hated Stalinism. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's yeah. insane. So they also were concerned over the portrayal of race race relations in films. So that was also something that they were involved in. Mm. Um, so in the mid seventies, big oil companies and mega corporations started taking over studios in Hollywood. Um, so then films were used to uh, push certain political and pro American ideologies. So like anti terrorism and war films. I mean, I always think of Rocky when I think of like war films, like the Cold War. Like that's just like mm. such an encapsulation of it. Um, things like American Sniper, um, and then yeah, a lot of Hollywood propaganda for World War Two. So persuading Americans to support the war effort. Um, and and that's the thing when when companies really started doing that, mm. it really changed the political landscape. Mm. Um, and. You know, super PAC money started, you know, funding those types of movies or funding documentaries. And it became a huge issue. And in 2010, there was a Supreme Court case called Citizens United, where essentially a, I think it was a super PAC, I think it was a political action committee, funded the creation of a documentary. And, but it was, it was essentially for a political campaign. Um, so the movie, I forgot what the movie said specifically, but whatever it was, um, the Supreme Court ruled that, sure, like companies can use money mm. and money can be used as speech in terms of 
uh, political associations. So what it's done since then is it has completely changed the amount of money that is used in political campaigns, which is why since I'd argue since about 2012, like running for president has gone from like a $50 million endeavor to like six, $700 million, almost a billion dollars. That's why when, it should, you know, money, these, these like one of the things, many things that needs to happen is that this needs to be taken out. Cause like, this is ridiculous. This whole, the whole election process in this country is so broken. Yeah. But like part of it is the money thing. Like the amount of money that gets spent is it, it is ridiculous on every level. Um, but also it's because the cost of spreading a message is extremely high. Mm-hmm. You know, um, ad dollars, huge uh, pamphlets. It, it 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 costs a lot of money to spread propaganda, mm-hmm. Lisa. Yes, and they have to pay for their propaganda. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's a really interesting article by someone called Anna um, Banerjee um, in weirdly the Daily Iowan, which, but I found this article and I just thought it was really like interesting talking about basically um, Captain America as a weapon of the state, Mm -hmm. um, both within the Marvel universe and outside of it. But there's a really cool sentence because I think this is also something that we don't um, think about, Uh, but Comedy shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Recreation feed into a pro-government, pro-police mindset, even if they are praised for being progressive in their social politics, which I think is really interesting because I think a lot of TV shows are really propagandizing the idea of police. Like, Absolutely. Look at the fucking like, CSI, SVU, uh, like all of these shows. But then I think the thing that's more insidious is things like the Marvel Universe even Karate Kid 2 was funded by the Pentagon. My fucking like, Law and Order. Yeah. like but It's those, called Law and Order. Yeah. But those <laughs> ones are like more obvious. But then you've got things like, you know, Parks and Rec and Brooklyn 199. They are pretty like diverse casting. They are like pretty, you yeah, know, but, but they're Parks still and Rec, very like. Parks and Rec also like basically promotes the idea of being um, happy, subservient employees. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so weird, uh, Parks and Rec. I'll be looking at Parks and Rec like, the fuck is going on here? I've never seen... I only see like one or two people at work this happy to be there. No fucking way people are this happy to be at work. I mean, that show is great, and I don't think anyone's really that happy to be at work. I think that it's just her. <laughs> there are people like that. Um <laughs> Okay, so anyway, so we could talk about this for a long time, and I was thinking that, I mean, I know we haven't been doing our movies, but we should probably bring it back. Uh, I think I I have some ideas on how we can do that, but a movie I'd really love to cover in a future Patreon episode is is Josie and the Pussycats, which I just think is Mm. one of... Have you seen it? Yeah. It is one of the fucking funniest movies for this shit. It's so good. Like, it's just, it's such a clever movie. Um, but I do want to close out on this one story, which I think is really funny out of the last Olympic games. Um, (laughs) this, this actually is from an Australian website talking about, um, the, uh, the Olympics. So it says weird way USA is rigging Tokyo Olympics medal tally. Um, so basically the Americans in the Olympics, when they were sharing the tally, so usually you would have a tally from like most wins to like like who's winning the Olympics down. Yeah. That is not how America shared 
it. Um, they shared it with the, because like obviously there's a point system, right? So they shared mm. it with the USA on the top, even though Japan had more gold medals. And they counted total medals over like winners, you know, like they, they skewed it. It's like the data was correct, but uh. the way that they presented the data was in a way that looked like they were winning the Olympics and they were not. So the US <laughs> was second after Japan because Japan had more gold. Um, and uh, in every, everywhere else, Japan was listed first, except for in America where Japan was listed third after China because of the way they decided to structure the table. And I just think shit like that happens a lot as well Absolutely. with the way that we present data. And uh, America is really good at that. Uh, one of my favorite books is How to Lie with Statistics. Uh, I think <laughs> I need to read that. Yeah, it's it's a really good read. It's just all the different ways you can, um, you can use statistics to create narratives that favor. Oh, 100%. This is what yeah. fucking white people do all the time. Yeah. Like, I have had this argument with people where... I have um, with family members and they'll do this whole like, actually, you know what? It's not even family members. One of my favorite ones is people who try to say like more white people are killed by cops. And I'm like, there are more white people in America. Like more white people should be killed by cops. If you look at data, like as a percentage of population, you will not find that to be the case. But, but if you is... look at data as like s- straight data of like how many people, of course it's white people. They make up like a majority of the country. But there's two issues. Yeah. Right. Issue one is obviously more black people per capita mm. are killed than white people per capita by police. Mm. But also like if you agree that more white people are killed by the police, then why the fuck are you not mad about that? <laughs> like, like, you shouldn't argue with me about it as a fucking dick-measuring race contest. No. You should be like, yo, word, we yeah. gotta do something about the police because they're killing <laughs> a lot of white people. Like, this isn't supposed to be a dick-measuring contest. This is supposed to be reform. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so... When I hear somebody use that as Yeah, an I'm like, argument. okay, cool. So we should be worried about this issue. Yeah. Like, why are you not worried about this issue? Exactly. But, like, it's not why they're saying it. It's <laughs> like the same thing with, like, black-on-black crime. Like, people will try and skew those statistics. Like, people love to fucking say shit like they're smart. And then you're like, that's not... You're not saying what you think you're saying right yeah. now. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And, and, yeah, I think America... Like in that Olympic tally, when I saw it come up, I was like, I have to bring this up when we talk about propaganda because that's fucking excellent. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not wrong. They did have more, you know, they did have more. It's just misleading. They just weren't winning. (laughs) Like, having more number of medals, if they're all bronze, does not make you the winners, you know? (laughs) And so it's the way they, they shared the data was like very interesting. And I think that America, yeah, does that a lot. Yeah, um, it's super misleading, but it happens case, all the time. It does. Happens um, all the time. You have if you else look you at say two on propaganda, or oh, you sorry. No, nah, I was you. just gonna say if you look at two different news stations, Ooh. they could have, you know, the same or similar statistics, but frame it completely differently, right? So, you know, that's just the way of propaganda. Mm. 
And on that note. Cult America is the best podcast in the world. The best. I had to do my propaganda. Absolutely the best. They did that really well. Actually, I know we said goodbye, but uh, <laughs> in in Cebu, in the Philippines, the whole time we were at this conference, they played this song um, that's like, I love Cebu. And they played it the whole time on repeat. And by the end, we're all singing that motherfucking song. Oh, so yeah. what I'm saying is, you know, propaganda works. And So really what Lisa is saying is play Cult America podcast on repeat. Yeah. So that uh, when brain. you see your friends, you're saying, you're... <laughs> I love Cebu. Thanks for listening. Cult America is co-hosted and produced by us, Lisa Charlotte and Carl Joseph Black. Our production partner is Three Springs Media. Our research assistant is Thea Smith and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Soundtrack is by King Virtue and So Soon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. We release bonus episodes there where we cover American movies. You can get in touch with us at cultusapod.com. You can leave comments on the episodes or you can contact us through the contact form. You can also find us on Twitter at cultusapod. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, please send a voice clip to the email address in our show notes. And that's it. My ancestors right. ain't died for me to be taking shit from no crackers. You want me to preach peace, but my frequency is on ratchet. Don't wanna protest when a whole ratchet. Don't wanna hold tap a whole balance. Every chant for white lies, a rant of white lies, so we show them that black lives matter. Last night I had a dream. The cops were harassing me.